This is Broccoli. Content that's good for you. This podcast may contain strong language and themes listeners might find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. Sorry to burst your bubble, but Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt are not getting back together. And no, their brief encounter at an awards ceremony is not an excuse for you to go and text your ex. That's not a good idea. We should embrace our single lives more, like Naz from Winter Love Island. Our short king may not be having much success in love, but he's not letting this get in the way of his free holiday in South Africa. Someone needs to start a petition and make him win the 50k on his own. This week, I spent a long time looking at houses on Zoopla that I'll never be able to own. And apparently, I'm not the only one. Writer Angela Lashbuck describes how real estate apps and Instagram accounts have become a digital fantasy land for broke millennials. And wow, I felt that. I've seen countless British influencers set up second accounts for their home renovations, boasting about their newest property purchases, while their followers barely scrape their rent together. It's called Renovation Porn, and Sarah Manavis wrote a brilliant article on this in the New Statesman last year. I've been binging on Netflix's sex education. Shooty plays Eric, and he's my favourite character on the show. The way he expresses the duality a lot of second-generation kids experience is spot-on. In other entertainment news, Evie and Water have got Firefest event producer Andy King as their brand ambassador, proving even if Netflix makes a documentary about one of your life's biggest fuck-ups, there's always a way up. This is your Broccoli Weekly. I'm your host, Yora. Don't forget to subscribe and review our show. And a big thank you to those of you who have done so already. In today's episode, we will be discussing the media's obsession with hate baiting, Jess Phillips dropping out of the Labour election campaign, and the book murderer. Today, I'm joined by political editor Moya Lothian McLean and PR consultant Ronke Lawal. Labour Party will need to select a candidate that can unite all parts of our movement. And I have to be honest with myself, as I said, I always would be throughout this campaign, that at this time, that person isn't me. In order to win- this week, Jess Phillips, a Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley, announced she's dropping out of the Labour leadership race. For those of you who don't know, the Labour Party is having a leadership election because current leader Jeremy Corbyn said he'll be stepping down after the monumental Labour loss during the last general election. The new party leader will be announced at a special conference on the 4th of April and the postal ballot of members will run from the 21st of February to the 2nd of April. Moya, for those of us who don't know much about Jess Phillips, can you tell us about who she is, how she's gained popularity and what kind of politics she has? Jess Phillips, as you said, MP for Birmingham Yardley. She's a backbencher. She's one of the loudest critics of the Jeremy Corbyn administration and the move to the left. She's quite controversial because she claims she's a truth teller, although her truth mainly seems to be criticising those who are leading the party. 
And the media love her, mainly because Jess Phillips is very good at promoting herself. So she's been on a lot of magazine covers, a lot of interviews. The hard left, as they tend to call them, don't like her as much because she is she's more she's more to the center of the left. Um, so she tends to talk about how, you know, you should be friends with members of the Tory party. She said things like, I'll stab Jeremy Corbyn in the front and not the back if he betrays what I believe in. She has some several high profile wrangles with people like Diane Abbott. There was a very contentious incident where she claimed, and I'm about to swear, sorry guys, that she claimed she told Diane Abbott to fuck off during a meeting. Not only was this not true, she hadn't done it and she'd done it for sort of points to try and win over the kind of people who regularly abuse Diane Abbott. She's someone who claims to be a feminist and a lot of people thought that openly being proud of abusing a member of the Labour Party who gets probably a dis- who gets a disproportionate amount of abuse, gets over half of all abuse directed at female MPs in general, um, was not a good move and not a feminist move. So what Jess Phillips says she does and what Jess Phillips actually does, there's a large gap between the two of them. But that has won her popularity. You know, there's a lot of people like, um, don't want to use too much of a divisive term here, but white feminist types who are like, yes, Queen Slay. I remember a very funny incident where Catelyn Moran, who is a quite prominent author, a writer, and very much like a peddler of, you know, feminism, popular mainstream feminism, was complaining that she couldn't get her passport renewed. And Jess Phillips went, what's your details? Send them to me and I'll sort it out. Jess Phillips, by the way, MP for Birmingham, Catelyn Moran, lives in London. <laughs> so, wow. so yeah, so that's kind of like an overview of the kind of person Jess Phillips is, the kind of thing she stands for, which is a lot of sub- like substance, sound, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, is how I would describe her. So do you think that's why she faced so much criticism? Because she didn't actually have many policies that she wanted to bring forward. This is what this is what's interesting about Jess Phillips is her, so her leadership campaign in general has been a bit of a car crash. She launched it saying, you know, I'm gonna with her nap, like her normal kind of like stance, which was I'm gonna bring truth I'm gonna tell truth to power. That was I think her slogan was something like um telling truth to power or some kind of play on those words. And she launched it as in like I'm honest, I know what people really want. She went up to a couple of towns that Labour had lost. They lost Labour Heartlands. She started talking to people about about what they cared about, which a lot of politicians did in the wake of Labour's loss to try and be like, yeah, we're reconnecting. Um, so she launched a campaign on that kind of platform, but then immediately it became very obvious that she didn't have that much substance behind it. So she she went on Andrew Marr and she did an interview on the Andrew Marr show. Um, and she did an interview in which she seemed, she's very confident when she's attacking um, people, but she's not as confident when she's asked about what she stands for and she didn't have much to say then and people started noticing oh what's going on here there's you, there's not much to back up what you're saying she was saying like we've got to we've got to reconnect with voters but she wasn't saying how we could reconnect with voters she wasn't saying what you need to do she was just soundbiting so she did that and then there was a hustings which was also a disaster because she wrote an article in the guardian oh yeah okay saying so the future, that hustings yeah the hustings are not a good representation so anybody who doesn't know what hustings is it's basically when candidates get together and they're quizzed on their views for things. It's sort of like a leadership debate. So big hustings um, and all the Labour leadership candidates at that point win the hustings who'd made it onto the next ballot. Um, and Jess Phillips, she herself admitted her performance was awful. She didn't have much to say. She stumbled. She repeated lines other people were saying, but without adding anything. And then afterwards, she wrote a op-ed 
in The Guardian, as you mentioned, saying this was rubbish, <laughs> which <laughs> I just I don't know anybody who's planning to stand for leadership positions or any position whatsoever. But I would really advise not sabotaging your own campaign by afterwards writing about how crap it is. The problem with Jess Phillips as well was she never was going to win the support of the unions, really, because um, to get on the next stage of the ballot, I don't know if you know how it works. It's, so first of all, you have to have 20, the backing of 21 MPs or MEPs. So you get that, you get to the next stage. Then you need the backing of either 5% of the local CLPs, which is, I think, the Community Labour Party, mm-hmm. or three affiliates, which are trade unions. So then they have to basically make up 5% of affiliate members. So you need to go the affiliate route. So you need to get big trade unions like Nisa Nandi has got on side or mm-hmm. Keir Starmer, or you need to get the local parties on side. Local parties weren't going to back Jess Phillips because she annoyed a lot of members by calling us all rubbish, basically. <laughs> saying we're useless if you slag off the party for five years the party is not going to like back you basically and the trade unions weren't going to do it because she didn't have the policies so from that point she was foundering and I think her performance the hustings was kind of her last chance to win over doubters because none of the unions backed her she would have had to win over 133 local parties in order to make it onto the next stage of the ballot and from that stage it was kind of rumbling that this is not going to happen. And then she didn't turn up to a hustings, which was the union hustings. And everyone was like, right. And then she made an announcement that actually, she turns out she wasn't the person who was going to unite the Labour Party <laughs> and lead us into a victory at the next election. And she was standing down. So now I think she's thrown her weight behind Keir Starmer and Lisa Nandy. Wow. Thank you so much for that <laughs> summary. Right, so I've just learned so much about <laughs> Jess Phillips that I didn't even want to know. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, Useful um, information, basically. Yeah. Um, so, Ronke, what are your thoughts on Jess Phillips? Do you think she has a strong personal brand? Does she need to work on it? Uh, yeah, she's she's clearly got a strong personal brand. But we have to kind of pull away from personality over politics, right? We're in an era where performance and performative kind of activism has seemed to seems to be more prioritized and actually getting down to what is what are your what are your policies? Mm. What's the work you're going to do? What's the nitty-gritty? And I she I think she unraveled and she became she became unstuck because she wasn't able to at least have, you know, some substantial policies that we could at least, you know, say, okay, she knows what she's doing, what she's talking about. Now, her personal brand works for what it is. And I don't know her, obviously, but what I'm about to say, from what I can see as somebody who's observed her, she comes across to me as a career politician, right? So that's why, as opposed to dealing with whatever happened at the hustings, dealing with it as a proper person, a proper politician should deal with it. She wrote an opinion piece for The Guardian. That doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) It really makes no sense because if you're really serious about helping the people and bringing the party together, you'd go back to the drawing board and work on it. So her personal brand works for her. Her personal brand does not work for the party. Now let's talk about the other MPs running to be Labour's next leader. So we have Keir Starmer, who I think everyone keeps mentioning. What do we know about him? Keir is a really interesting man. I don't know if you feel the same way because it's like he, he is. is <laughs> someone said on Twitter that he looks like someone who should have charisma, but he doesn't. <laughs> well, this is it. And, uh, and, and and he is undergoing a rebrand. Yes. So he's, you know, he's losing his tie. He's not wearing as many mm. suits. You know, historically, his career has been in law, right? So yep. quite stiff and quite... To, some have actually said he's elitist. Although he's got very radical left-wing views, but if you look at him, you think, oh, 
he is for the other side. So he's had to undertake a complete yes. brand. And one thing I will say about him, as opposed to some of the other candidates, is that he's been on the ground. Mm. He's actually um, been speaking to ex-miners, for example, speaking to those communities in the heartlands. He's actually doing doing the things he's saying he's going to do even before he gets the role. So he, to me, he looks very trustworthy, obviously because we're in a, a world where perception matters. And I don't think, I, I think historically politics, perceptions always mattered. So how politicians appear has always mattered. So that's mm. why he's had to lose that kind of suit and tie appearance and kind of be a l- little bit more informal and show that he's very much for the people. Keir's interesting because he, as you say, he has a legal background. He is he was a human rights lawyer. He was, I think, director of public prosecutions, um, which he has come under criticism for because I think changes made under his reign, as it were, uh, led to a fall in prosecutions of rape cases Mm. when he was by the CPS, which has been heavily criticised. But he has done a lot of very good work. He was, people have started saying that he's the inspiration for Mark Darcy and Bridget Jones. I would like to add, there was no evidence to back that up. (laughs) What? None whatsoever. In fact, another lawyer was cited as inspiration, but this is a rumour that's come back around. Anyway, but Keir, Keir, yeah, so Keir has been criticised for in the past being more on the central left of the party, which I don't see. He has very, like, as you say, he's big. he calls himself a socialist. He says I'm an out proud socialist. Um, but he has, but he is, you know, I think he was um, privately educated. Yeah. Privately educated. So. And p- people have said that he's, you know, part of the cohort of the London elite, as it were, which was something that was flung at Jeremy Corbyn quite a lot, which is hilarious because that is a, just a man who likes his allotment, you know, there's not much elite about that. But um, Keir, Keir's, the problem with Keir, I think, is... As as I said before, it's the the charisma thing for me. I always think Keir Starmer. There's like he looks like a leader, but then you hear him talk, and you're like, he doesn't sound like a leader. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that perception to me just doesn't like he's. I just think that he is better on the backbenches working, not backbenches, but I think he's behind the scenes working on things rather than being at the front. I think the problem is I would like change. I would like a woman to be leading the Labour okay. Party in 2020, and Ke- like men like Keir. Five years ago, Keir would have been. It wouldn't have been in a contest. And they say now that he's the front runner. He is, but, yeah. yeah. He's the front runner right now. But like he's, you know, there's people coming up the side. There's other, the me- membership might not be for Keir the way that the um, unions are. So it's, and the other backers thus far. He represents the old, whether he likes it or not. He represents like the Labour Party that has gone before. And I'm not talking in terms of like tradition. I'm talking in terms of like, you know, male, like right. white collar profession. Right, okay. Like he's, and he's, he would be, good i mean he'd be fine i think but i just think that we need he's he's too adjacent to boris johnson and in the sense of like you know they have these professions of the the, the, like private school education like they come from similar worlds but he doesn't have the like boris johnson's complete lack of shamelessness just take him on so you want him to he's so i want an opposite to boris that's what i want do you not see him as an opposite to boris I see in terms of policy, yeah, but people are going right. to just look at them and be like, it's the perception again. And this is again, go, it goes back to perception and, and how he positions, positions mm. himself because his ideologies, his policies are completely yeah, yeah. the opposite. I'd just like to stress, Keir Starmer <laughs> does not have anything in common with Boris. Yeah. But what I mean is when you're looking at a gradient, if you place, like Boris needs someone who's the complete opposite of him. Well, this is can't it. can't be compared at all. And this is it. And so this is why obviously he's doing the whole rebrand. He's I think he's mm. wearing a turtleneck. but this is the problem is we are we are not i and i want to say we're ready but we are not yet ready in the society we're in in this country 
for the, the kind of radical change that you're looking for. If it were up to me, I'd put Dawn Butler at the forefront. Oh my right? God, yes. But I, and, and very much so. However, the, the current what's been going on in the current climate, political climate and social climate and media climate, I just don't know if this country is ready. Now, a woman, definitely, perhaps. Yeah, definitely a woman. I want it to be a black woman. I want it to be an Asian woman. I want it to be a woman who is not necessarily white. However, I don't know if this country is ready for that. So let's talk about some of the other candidates in the race. Rebecca Mm Long-Bailey. And then we also have Lisa Nandy (laughs) and Emily Thornberry. Okay, sum them up really quickly. (laughs) Rebecca Long-Bailey, she is probably the most left. She is the one that the membership, the the Corbyn membership at least, really like. She has been called the Corbyn continuity candidate. And that's the thing that's going to hurt her bid most. Because people... Don't want that. Well, they don't want that. The thing is, and I think also what's interesting is a lot of people think that Corbyn the Corbyn backing was a cult. They call it like the cult of Corbyn. As somebody who backed Corbyn, I can tell you right now, and who was in that mm. kind of world, it is not a coalition. People now are fractured. The like the large swathe that backed Corbyn are now backing different people. They're not all agreed. Not everyone wants Rebecca Long-Bailey and not everyone has decided who they want to back like leading on from Corbyn. Mm. So that this is something I think the media don't quite understand at the moment. They keep saying she's continuity. But honestly, from my own perspective within that world, she's very much not shorn up in terms of that vote. She might not have the backing. A lot of people are moving towards Lisa Nandy, which is who is also the only the only other person who's made it through to the final round with Keir Starmer on the mm. ballot. Um, and Nandy's been praised because she's she appeals to the soft left. Mm-hmm. as they call them, which is the more central kind of part of the party. But she's also, I think, the most experienced... Actually, Keir probably as well. She's been an MP since 2010. She's been an MP since 2010. I think she backed Owen Smith initially in the leadership contest, which was... Um, but the point is, she's managed. She's played the long game and she also has made concessions and moved her position. So she's quite good at peeling across the board and she's from Wigan. So she's got the northern thing that yeah, keeps gunning on about. Yeah, the heartlands. The heartlands. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says she's and she did some very impressive interviews. So a lot of people are saying like, oh, Lisa Nandy. She is also the only candidate who is actually got ethnic heritage. She her dad is Indian. Yeah, she's got a really interesting background, Lisa Nandy. But she's come. She's kind of come up and she's she has played the long game. She has been around for a while. She's been in and out of like shadow cabinet. She resigned from Corbyn's when they tried to do a coup. She's got an interesting mix of policy too. Then the last one is Emily Formbury. Who- oh yeah. I think we all we all know her because she's a media darling. She is like she's always she's on TV. She's high camp darling, and she love loves her. like she <laughs> will she will be for, you know front and center of yeah. question time. And happily, I think I saw a clip of her laughing with Mr. Morgan on G- oh, Great Morning Britain. Oh. Um, so she is very much about the media, mm. and and you know again if we're talking about personality. And media profiling, she's got that down. Um, she's a v- what I what I will say for her. She's very vocal, vocal. She's pro Remain, and she's one of the braver Labour Party candidates who's been talking about Brexit and want to stay and all of these kind of things. So she's she's outspoken. She's vocal. Still uncertain about her policies. She's very London or South focused. I don't really think she talks very much about the North. And she's still got this thing about this. There was a thing about a tweet once mm. where, and she's never been able to let that tweet go. Oh, no. The image of, uh, was the image of, of the van. white van, white <laughs> van man or whatever with the the England flag. And it was just, and I'm repeating it again because it'll bring you up. She's never going to let her go. So yeah, she's had a few missteps and I don't think she's going to be sorry, able to. Can you explain the tweet a bit more? 
what was it even? It was, it, well, the it's, context... got the point, it's got to the point where it's just like a fuzzy, you yeah. the phrase white van man. You're like, what did she even say? She, I think she said something derogatory referring to like white van Yeah, like, and men. they're the reason. Men. And they're the reason. They're the typical, I think they're typical yeah. Brexit voters or they're the reason why. It was, it was, it yeah. was very kind of, why are you doing this? <laughs> Emily Thornbury, actually Emily Thornbury um, announced a bonkers policy today, which was a, uh, about housing, she said she's got this radical housing problem. Her policy was going to make everyone enter a lottery in their 20s to live in blocks of houses that they then only pay up to half their salary for and then they have to move up by the 30. But apparently that's fine because what? they'll have saved their deposit for what a house. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know, but for my radical policy, I would like to make everyone live in hutches and give me their firstborn. So <laughs> oh it's that kind of like... Okay, she's she's based. I don't think Emily Thornberry's going to make it through to the next round. Uh, I don't wow. think she is. She's got the personality, though. Yes, she's 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 a character. She's a character, and as we've seen with with our current prime minister, that can often work. Yeah. in your favour. So. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's been a wide debate about mainstream media magnifying people who say really hateful things. Classic examples of such individuals are Piers Morgan, Katie Hopkins, or that American Gun Girl who's all over Twitter. Some people will say it's important to talk about these types of individuals and report on it because it's what's happening in the world. While others say that the media needs to stop paying attention to them and stop getting involved. Firstly, Moya, why does the media dedicate so much energy to people like this? What do they gain from it? Oh, money, 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 of course. Um, so we're living in a like an age where the media landscape is completely different. Not to get too deep into it, but everyone's competing for advertisers. Like, Social media's come up now. They need new ways of reaching people. They're no longer all powerful. So they need to make people come on the site and they need to make advertisers buy space on the site. And what they need to do to prove that advertisers should be buying space on the site as opposed to, you know, paying for ads on Facebook or Google is say we have clicks, we have engagement, we get people on there. And the problem is we live in a very oversaturated world. What makes people click on things? High emotions, rage. If you're angry about something, you're going to click on it and you're going to share it and you're going to say, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether you're sharing things in a negative way, you're still sharing mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like, that's a huge amount of traction. So it, it really pays the media. I like, I work in the media and I'm sure that you'll be able to give more <laughs> insight into this than the social <laughs> side. But I work in the media and I'm very aware of what the conversations are in these newsrooms. And it is literally, let's cover this because we're going to get traffic. Some places now, like I work at Gowden, which is great and doesn't do that. But if some places are very unsavory and they will just, you know, if somebody, say a very faded actor who used to be on a show <laughs> working on Morse Reboot, says something hypothetically, then they will just jump on that and go, great, look at the clicks we're going to get. Mm. Endless think pieces. And they'll ring up, especially they'll ring up writers who have been affected by this, mainly POC writers, and say, look, can you write a piece for us or something? Mm. That's the only time they're going to ring them up as well. They want your clicks, essentially, because your rage is a currency and it's the most valuable one out there. So what I would say to anyone listening is please value it more. It's difficult, though, because I think psychologically mm. and in this era now outrage is just the it's we are we are becoming bombarded we are with with all this kind of information and reactionary pieces that we're not even able to <laughs> compartmentalize why we're upset mm. what it what you know why we're feeling this feeling why we're feeling this emotion now i would definitely say and i've always said it because from the other side as in pr i'm pitching to the media right so i know 
what's going to get a client featured. I know what's going, I know how an editor or journalist is going to want to kind of change and flip a story to suit their own agenda. And all obviously, like, like Moya just said, to get the clicks and to get that traction, right? I get it. I know it's about how do you play the game? Who do you talk? Who do you talk to? How do you, you know, what issues are you talking about? They're going to actually have an impact. Now, if the minute you start to, to fall into the trap of the pantomime, and that is pretty much what it is. It's really difficult to come out of it because we're seeing now as well that there are there are also influencers who capitalize on it, mm-hmm. right? So I, I obviously I blame you know the media and tabloids, but that's their game. That they need to make money. Mm-hmm. They need that. But then you've got the other flip side of outrage influencers who sometimes take things out of context because they know they're going to get so many retweets, so much clout and movement because of that energy. And they're not encouraging their followers to say, actually, can we stop and think? What's the next thing after this? Because imagine with all these conversations, what next? There's still going to be the issues that we're angry about. There's still going to be the disparity and the inequality and the racism and the sexism and all of these things and these isms. But then what next? So how do we move from the outrage to Mm. actually making change and ta- you know tangible sustainable change because let's be honest all the people that you mentioned earlier all those journalists and all of those kind of shock jockeys i call them shock mm. jockeys they still have jobs yeah they're still getting money they're not getting cancelled well, like everyone is, believes they're getting cancelled and you know i'll be honest sometimes more and more i'm, I'm really I, and i can only say this because i know how it operates from the other side half of the time they're putting it's a performance yeah they don't like genuinely, I be, I'll, I'm, you know, I'm sure some of them do have those views. Some of them actually, they're not as right wing as they say they are because they know it's, mm. you know, it's getting them the clicks and it's paying their bills. They're going to keep doing it. But how do they sleep at night? Because, because they don't care. They don't care. <laughs> they don't, like, they're not, they're not that right wing, but they don't care at the same time. They're, they're completely are, like apathetic about it. They don't, they don't care. They don't so long care. as they're getting, the, they're getting money. Like they're getting what they need. They're getting the attention. <laughs> and I think what was one of the pieces that Ronka just said that was really interesting was the idea of the outrage influencer. On the flip side of that, you have got people who call them almost wokeness influencers who wow. on our side, yes. they are now, they're in, this, so they're in this symbiotic relationship where, you know, it's like a dialogue almost. You're, you're like, you have You have the outrage influence I who are say saying it. things who are like, oh, this is, this is, they'll say things like, oh, I'm offending the woke brigade. And then the people, they pick up on that and they're like, right, it's time to cancel these people. Yes. And they get their retweets too. And you, it's like going back and forth and we're all just collateral. You know? I and this, I really yeah. want to, I'm scared that I, might have contributed to that. Of course, we all, we all have. Oh, okay. but, <laughs> so this week, Syra Khan went uh, viral yeah, yeah, on yeah. Twitter, and long story, I can't. You know what? I can't remember what she was to, saying. We don't she was she was being an outrage influence. She was know? she was getting <laughs> she was getting her clicks. Yeah, but she was also speaking on um, behalf of many people. She does not have a voice for yeah. anyway. So I quote tweeted it. I quote tweeted the, the video. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, just angry. You Did know? it get, go viral? No, I mean, my tweets didn't go viral, no. <laughs> but, but it gives more traction to yeah. the original clip, right? Yeah. yeah. It only took me a few days to be like, wow, I was part of that. This yeah. Is the thing. You get caught up in the matrix. And I, I wrote a big piece on this in Galdam about two days ago, literally saying, look, we have to, like, guys, we have to know platform these people. I'm really sorry, but, Thank like, you. I get I get why we are, like, you get, you're upset, you want to fire it off, and also you want to be part of the tribe that is calling them out because you're of like, course. I need to show that I too believe that they're yeah. bad. <laughs> I need to show this very publicly. Absolutely. No. And, like, this obviously is not a blanket thing. There are things we do need to call out. There are behaviours we need to call out. There are companies. But when it is somebody who will get more traction 
through your rage and they oh, like calling out Donald Trump at this t- stage does nothing because he's already like you know he's up there but calling him out four years ago we could have stopped that you know like, yeah we, we could have, have. We, we could when have. he was doing his birth and stuff we should have no platform that man but basically yeah if it's somebody who's like a faded actor or somebody who's not going to get that media presence without us well, don't 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 retweet them. Are don't there share the videos. Any arguments for platforming? Because people will be like, you know, yeah, we we get why no platforming. Well, do they good, get do they get it? Because I can I tell you, I can tell you some things about it. Like, <laughs> okay, so deflat platform research, for example, um, I, Swansea Uni and the Royal United Service Institute did this in two, 2019. They looked at Britain first. Britain first was mm. the second. I don't know if you people have mm-hmm. the background on this. You guys were, which they were. They're a big white nationalist mm-hmm. like hate group. Mm-hmm. They had this. They were the second most liked page after the royal family in politics and society on Facebook. Oh they had 1.8 million followers. Now these could have been bought followers. I'm sure yeah, that yeah, some yeah. of them were. Yeah, but yeah, the point yeah. was that gave them a huge platform. Yeah. So anyway, Facebook removed the group. Now they have 11k followers on a platform called Gab, which is like where all the fascists go when they're kicked off these things. Mm-hmm. Their income is huge. You don't hear about them anymore. Where were mm-hmm. first? Where have they gone? Another one, Stephen Laxley Lennon, aka Tommy Robinson. What happened to him? Mm-hmm. He got banned by Twitter and Facebook in 2019. YouTube channels restricted, so his views collapsed. His income is massively slashed. He's mm. been complaining about it. And his when you go to t- Lenin events, like there used to be 10K people who come up because they could spread the words of it. Now there's only like a few hundred. It works. Milo Yiannopoulos. Mm. What happened to him? Do you remember him? He, like he had 4 million followers. He himself has talked about and he, he, he had so much money. He was so rich. He got 200K from Simon Schuster to write a book. But now he is four million pounds in debt, something he has said himself, because he got kicked off all his social platforms. Good. If you know platform someone, they don't Good. have that reach. Good. I don't like people talk about this as a free speech issue. This is not a free, speech, not free issue. speech issue. The reason they're arguing for free speech is because of something called the Overton window. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys know about this. It is basically when you say things like, you know, just let, allowing these things into the conversation, saying like, you know, well, Britain isn't racist or, you know, Muslim women look like letterboxes mm-hmm. those things saying it people can be as outraged as they like but saying it has brought it into like public consciousness and it widens the window and normalises it mm-hmm. a bit further and the more you let these people talk the more we let them have their free speech the more we're cranking open that window this and this is this is so damaging so I'm just like I don't care no platform them no platform agreed absolutely agreed so how do we hold the mainstream media accountable <laughs> we can't we can't you can't i mean that's that's like i mean it's that, like whack-a-mole yeah no i mean you, you, you it, it, there's an individual effort that we can mm. make like you i love the fact that you it took you a couple of days but you kind of figured oh wait actually i was part of that mm. even just that little bit like i i often take the time to not React, like when mm. everybody's reacting over the past few Got weeks brief. as we've seen there's been a lot of reactionary posts on social media I literally just what what can I mm. no I, I'm not going to use my platform or my voice to add to this mm. because there's nothing of value that I'm going to bring to this conversation because nothing's going to change and the people that we talk about are going to be fine yeah. every on both sides right so it's about individually taking a, taking a look and then when we have conversations like this on platforms like this platforms like this have power we have to amplify platforms like this podcast and use mm. these platforms to have these kind of pertinent conversations because without them I mean mainstream media will always win ultimately mm. but we can start chipping away at the collective consciousness I feel like it would need a structural reform well it will but there's 
two things here. Like one, the reason mainstream media is doing this and platforming these people, as we said, is because they are losing certain amounts of Ooh. power. So for a start, don't don't feed further into that. Don't Take away it. their clicks as well. Mm-hmm. Don't give them the advertising mm-hmm. money. Secondly, another thing that I've started doing is every time I get that urge to, you know, angrily retweet <laughs> something and that I don't need to like amplify, I look to a story instead that I do want to amplify. Same. Like, you know, save Latin Village or protesting an elephant castle to save the traders there. Same. Like amplify that. Choose something else that you think actually does need the boost and Absolutely. do that instead. And it not only makes you think about what your your platform, what you what the power you have, it's doing good. Like that's mu- that is actually active. Like what we have to say is when we are retweeting these people th- that are causing this damage, is that activism? activism. Is this helping anyone? Not in my opinion, no. Like the people on the ground that we are angry for on behalf of, like if someone is saying a racist thing and we are angry and we're like, this is harming people in this country, is it helping them to retweet that? No, so no, do something that helps no, these people. No, it's just triggering them. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it, exactly, it's harmful. It's, it's, every time yeah. you see that on your timeline, that hurts. It's draining yeah, as yeah, hell yeah, constantly. Yeah. And so do something that feels meaningful and will actually maybe turn into tangible action. Absolutely. And I love what you've just said, Moya, because activism, the definition of activism, mm. we are losing what that actually mm. means. And I, and I, uh, you know, I think because it feels like mainstream media is is, is so powerful, but like you rightly say, it's, it's losing its power. But then you've got this whole ideology of performative activism because of social media and influencers and all of the, some influencers, not yep. all, there's some really great people doing great work. And so you've got to really look at what is the definition of activism. Mm. And when you see who is actually on the ground undertaking grassroots work, you realise sometimes the things that we're talking about or the things we're retweeting and getting angry about on the timeline, it's nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> the people who are making the most noise sometimes are the people who do absolutely the least. So I want you to sit down and look. <laughs> like, honestly, look. Look at the people who are taking time to retweet pictures of actors' dinners this is what that I'm they saying. are going on about and see like, okay, what are you doing right now? Is this useful? And then look at the people who are being quiet because the people who are being quiet are quiet because they're busy. This is the thing. And this they're the ones it. who need our help. And they're the ones they're who need like ones. us to boost and get involved. Also, the quicker you get involved with this side and start, the more you look at these stories, like as I talked about, like Latin Village, the more you get involved and you will start doing yes. stuff. Yes. And that's yes. when you realise what the real work is. Yes, And absolutely. God, that is an amazing feeling. It is. It is an amazing feeling. I think it's hard. You know, there was recently mm. a, a case about a book now called American Dirt, if I'm uh. to talk about, right? <laughs> and it could be hard, right? Can because... you give us some context for people Please who give us the know. context. Well, it's a, see, I haven't read, read the book, but I've read mm. the... The, the, the New York Times the valid, interview. I've read the valid. I've read the valid critique, and mm. I've read some of the reviews, and I've read a few sound bites from her, the writer. And I forget her name, Janine Cummings, right? Yeah. And so she's a not. She's she's not. She's not Latin American, but she's written about the experience of. She has a Puerto Rican grandmother. She claims <laughs> of Latin America. Wow, Somewhere. that reach. As a yeah, as a you know, a Caucasian writer, she's she's had privilege mm. basically mm. to write a story that's very you know it's if you haven't had that lived experience to write that story and get such a big advance on it. The wow, story, by the way, was about a Mexican woman who has to the border, migrate, yeah, yeah and the, the, border, the experience the of crossing border. the border and all of that. Very you know, it's a really powerful story, and she's been getting the endorsement of some major players. Oh, I'm not going to mention the names; oh. it's already been mentioned. <laughs> oh, be careful mentioning names, you know, but. These big players in Please the industry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but this is the 
point about media, right? And if we talk about the influence of a lot of big, mm. you know, heavy hitters, and you think about it, there are activists on the ground who mm. are trying to help these people, who've been trying to help these people, who are trying to help Mexicans, who are trying to help immigrants, and who are trying to really push back policy and advocacy. Mm. And then you have this woman who can have this book deal. It's about to be turned Seven into... Figure. Apparently it's going to be turned into a book, um, into a film as well. And you just think to yourself, and then now we've got the noise but around it. you have the audacity to then say, I wish someone darker could've, than me could have well, written this the book. Did you see book? the thread? There was a thread on Twitter by a woman who was, who is of Mexican, like actual Mexican descent and had written this book about this experience and she'd got turned down from the publishing house. This is the issue. And she and the author who wrote the book, Jeanne Cummings, had messaged her going like, I loved your book. See, this is the thing. And this is what, see, real activism is going to be mm dismantling those organisations, those publishing firms mm. and, and really hold them to account. And somebody like Cummings should have really been like, look, I'm not going to take this advance unless you you bring in five yeah. writers of Mexican descent and give them deals. It's not saying that people can't write stories. It's asking like why certain people who write these stories are elevated over others. Exactly. And also what work they have done to earn telling that exactly. story. Like why does she, like she, like, it was very funny, she made a big deal about her husband being undocumented. Now her husband wasn't documented but he was Irish and so that is a very different experience to somebody why did she not tell the story of like an Irish man who's undocumented if that is the experience she is adjacent to you know why would you, you have to also ask why did she choose to tell the migration story some from Mexico why was what is it about that narrative that she felt was more sellable and it's like why like we have to think about the range of stories we're telling and why she exactly. felt like she had the like she had the entitlement she to went. take the story on and you know, did all this research on what it must be like. But I could do how research about, on anything, doesn't mean I should tell the story. Exactly. But how about just being like, hang on, maybe mm. this isn't for me, sidestepping and being like, well, who are all these amazing writers who can actually write yeah. about this mm. and elevating those people? Yeah, exactly. That's what activism is. That's activism right. isn't taking the mic. I know, hundred percent. Or allyship. You know, allyship. Kind of yeah. allyship. <laughs> I think this is also a thing because it's like when we get passionate about a cause, we are very much like, "What could I do? How can mm. I help?" But sometimes helping is just like stepping back and saying, "Like these people are doing this." Yeah. And like you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. You don't have to rewrite the wheel. Exactly. You just have to be there and show up and be there in body and spirit. Let's talk about the book murderer. It all started with a tweet. A man named Alex, who's a senior editor at One World News, posted a picture of some very big books, including a Dostoevsky cut in half. He wrote, Yesterday, my colleague called me a book murderer because I cut long books in half to make them more portable. Does anyone else do this? Is it just me? And this started a national debate on book reading etiquette. Some people were horrified by what Alex was suggesting. Actually, a YouGov poll found that 74% of people thought it was despicable. (laughs) And others thought that he was maybe low-key a genius. Now, what do we think? (laughs) Two things here. One, is that what YouGov are spending their money on now? Okay. (laughs) YouGov is just like between biscuit polls and anyway. (laughs) Um, Two, uh, Alex loves to show off his very big books, doesn't he? (laughs) Hi, I'm a man who likes to read uh, David Foster Wallace and Dostoevsky. <laughs> and I like to read them so much, I cut them in half to make them more portable. Like, I was just very... That tweet was very, like, pretentious book man. It's so pretentious. But now you've mm. just added some context that he works for a media company. He's an editor. He does, So yeah. it was just... And I was... When I, look, when I saw the tweet, I was like, oh my God, this is gross. Like, this is gross because that, you know, books are very... I don't mind folding. I don't mind lived in books. But that was just like, wow, this is an act of... Wow, what is this? <laughs> but now that you've added the context of his media background, I'm like, oh... We all it just makes a bit hoodwinked. more sense. Yeah, we all hoodwinked for the retweets. Hey, maybe no, I mean, this I was another engagement thing. I think we were yeah. hoodwinked for the retweets, even if 
He didn't have a media background. Yeah, that, was a, that was a hoodwink for yeah, the We were just hoodwinked from the, because what is the point? Like, I just don't get it. But now I'm thinking, oh, yeah. All right, okay. But um, the, the appearance of it, it was a very nicely formulated mm. tweet because it worked very, very well. And he ended up writing more pieces for other platforms, it's right? It's like it, he's got his uh, goal. He's going to write a book about being he's a book, book, he's he's gonna 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 write a book about being a book murderer. And we're all going to be, we're all, we're, all in a, we're all in the matrix now, literally. Yeah. We're all <laughs> going to pictures cutting He's gonna give a going to give a TED talk. He's going to give a TED talk about <laughs> being a book murderer. It's probably going to be a documentary about book etiquette. And he's probably going to be a producer. It's like, I'm just seeing... Like maybe it's my yeah. media brain going or my PR brain no, going. I can out. see everything now. And I'm not gonna watch any of it. <laughs> but we're all gonna be fed up. We're all gonna be fed up. You know what is so funny about but this? We allowed this to happen. But this is, a, this is yeah. the funny thing. Is like there is a again, I'm not gonna mention names. If you wanna mention a name, there's a really popular influencer right now who when she first started, right? And the game is a game, she first started. <gasps> I think she I know what you're talk about. Yeah. And then she became more and more controversial to the point where even I was like, come on, guys, why are you, you just... reparations are we talking do, about? Do, why, why are we doing this? And now she's going to be... She's going to have a huge... She's got a, a documentary on one of my popular, you know, channels on in the country next week at prime time. And it's about the most asinine... When you think about the topic, it's like, is this what feminism really is? I don't know, but... <laughs> I, for one, think that growing out my bush is radical. That's why I'm like, <laughs> why is she being given a show on the, th- on the very thing where I'm like, what is... I? And again, if she's listening, I'm not knocking the that hustle. That Instagram picture. I'm not knocking the hustle. Can I just say that... That Channel did not 4, look... Yeah. Like it wasn't a bush. a bush. It wasn't a bush. Also, Channel 4, if you want to give me a documentary for growing out some pubes, you know where to find me. There's like, a lot of things. Call me. If they want to give me a documentary for, that, if, if, if I knew that was radical, wow. Like, I could have just been like, I'm not going to say too much about She's a really interesting one, actually, because she is a book murderer. Um, oh, so. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Can we be sure that that was Moya who said that? She can come not for me. Okay. <laughs> I let the outrage, inc- com- outrage complex come for you. Like, I'll get those retweets. Um, but on the book murderer himself, I would love to go back to her though because I have a lot of thoughts. But yeah, okay. On, on him. Her, go on back Twitter to him. Fem- yeah, but on him. She is Twitter feminist like to the key. Anyway, but on him, on Alex Christoffi or whatever his name was, um, on just the act of book murdering, I honestly don't mind. Like I'm okay with it because it's not, it's not like I have made books fall apart before from overuse. Yeah, but that's you, you, you know, you I would cut it in half once it's half. Half. Well, I would, I would. I why haven't done that, it. Why does that, I feel like my, my heart rate is now racing. I like. just think like it's, if it's unwieldy. I've so you would see a book and you would literally if it was use a, big, a knife If it was a big boy book. Oh, it was a big geez. chunky boy, you know, like I'll cut in half. I wouldn't My mind. Heart. Like if I had to, I wouldn't mind. I've got little hands. And also it's like, you know, there's so many other things you can do. Listen. That's not cutting a book. <laughs> you can, okay, here are some examples. You can get Audible for seven ninety nine. <laughs> no way. Do you know what? That costs way too much for me. I'm or on free lots of money. an e-reader. Um, no, gross. You can add it. another bag to carry your book. It's not that, it's not going to be that it's heavy. Not, it's not about that. It's just like the, the book. Well, just don't read. Uh, you know what? That is my that's my tactic right now. Just not reading. Um, not reading. Uh, no, oh. I think I think the pro- the thing was we have this real connection to books, which is so funny. Like it's people were so outraged. People were like you have yeah. desecrated just this thing, but it's like I think it's a sign of kind of it love just, and use. No, but you say that now, but in a few years' time, when there's a Netflix documentary about the mind of a serial killer, we're going to figure out it's because when you start with book murdering, it's other things. <laughs> you dip into. <laughs> It's kind of that cat documentary. Well, it's when you start on which book I'm traumatized. Oh my god! Said, yeah, no, no. But burning—that's that's the that's the authoritarian state. That's a different thing altogether, you know. 
Um, but I'm not fussed about the book book murdering. It's think, his book. Yeah, but... it's his book. It's his book at the end of the day. If he if it was like a mate and he'd cut his book in half, I would be annoyed. But it's his book. And also, do you know what? At the end of the day, I don't believe he does that. As you said, I think it's for the retweets. Yeah. I, I, it was it was too set up. Like, oh, his colleague only just called him a book. Oh, he only just thought this was weird. Like, how many years has he been doing book murdering? And you only think that that's weird now? Weird enough to post on Twitter? Hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hmm. Like, I, if I was doing, doing a behaviour like that, it would have been on Twitter in 2015. True. It's, like, it's funny then. But you'd be surprised. There's a lot of strange people and behaviour patterns that happen, you know, in real life, offline. Because I, I, I did share that tweet and then somebody immediately responded and said when they were younger, they used to cut up the books as kind of like, just just to be daring against their parents. Be like, oh, they used to cut, off, cut up the books in their book, parents' bookshelf. And I just thought, wow, Wait, so they are you okay? Some of the dictates around the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, What's there's some real strange people out there. Wait, you know, I've also read that some people, while they, as they read a book, they'll tear off pages to make it lighter. Now that is weird. That to me is weird because it's like, how do you go back to that? At least cutting in half, you're like, okay. The thing about cutting in half, like Charles Dickens used to give out his book in serializations, right? Yeah. That's just like separate. It's just separate parts of the book. But tearing out your pages, how do you reference something? How do you go back to the sexy scenes? Like what? That doesn't make any oh, sense to me. Books, man. That's just foolish. Again, I don't know if they're lying like cutting for the retweets. Yeah. Maybe they are lying for the but retweets. Can, but people we know, no. Maybe I they're think growing their bush for the retweets. People- <laughs> People are just bizarre anyway. People are odd. So I don't think they're lying. I just think it's just an... Social media's given us an opportunity just to look into the deep, twisted minds of each other. And we that? are all just very strange. Everyone, But everyone's like... Everyone thinks they're the strangest. Everyone's like, no, I'm so I know I'm not. I'm, I'm, not. I'm so vanilla. Random. No, I'm so no. I know I am vanilla. I'm straight down the... <laughs> like, I know... <laughs> I'm so kooky. Somebody will say something. I'm like, what? Where does that come from? So, no, nah, I'm not... Uh, I, I, I like I, I definitely used to think be like I'm so weird and I'm like I'm very well, much I just like normal. maybe I am weird my maybe my is, weird is normal yeah maybe you're maybe you're weird because you've got the normal like I it really makes me laugh when <laughs> things go by where it's like oh my god I can't like I do this thing I bet no one else does it's got like a hundred k retweets it's like yeah, clearly actually you made a point like, unpopular <laughs> opinion yeah and it's yeah, like, like the most popular opinion it's like, there is. this is just like an opinion mate it's not it's yeah. not like it's just an opinion every day. This I think I think what I've learned from this is I need to log on. <laughs> yes, take regular breaks from social. All three of us are too online. We're too online. We're too on. Well, we need to get back to those but, books that I've no, not been the reading. Point of this or is cutting. Whether you're online or offline, you cannot escape this. He's literally mm. been reported on the news. So that it's not like now. when I take breaks, I'll see, like I, I start watching the news and I'm seeing a tweet being reported and I'm like, why is this newscaster talking about a tweet? This is also something I think we really have to like look at is how, like we're talking about the media earlier and we're talking about the way it works. How, and I've working, like I've worked in viral news, I write viral news stuff and I know how it works. How like Twitter is now like such a main source of just any content because it's so quick and so reactive and people exactly. have got used to consuming stuff in that way. So now news reports have to catch up. Well, exactly. And so they just re- they'll just put the tweet Essentially on it's a race of who can yeah, write so it the what's quickest. Real, what's real news now? And then it's what all is, SEO, yeah. isn't it? So for example, if I was to hear about the book murderer and I was like, okay, let me just Google that and see what that's about. Every single outlet will compete with each other mm-hmm. to become the first, first. option just have one more question back yeah. to the books. Do you ever finish books you don't like? <gasps> this is a fun question for me because I started, okay, so I started a new policy, I think a couple of years ago now, where I was like, if I'm like, and it went with a new kind of resolve that if I'm not enjoying something or it's not working for me, stop doing it. Like, stop doing mm-hmm. it, stop forcing it. So I started leaving books I thought were crap on buses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, and then you're giving it potentially to someone who might yeah, like so it. Yeah, so who might like it, but also it's just like, 
rejecting this book, Body and Soul. I didn't want it in my house. There was one particular book by a prominent uh, columnist, which was bad. And <laughs> I was just like, I'm, I don't want this in my house. It's just so bad. So weird, yeah. It's a detriment to me. Well, this is <laughs> bad a, energy. This is a bad thing. When a book that I don't... I've got the same... I have to get it get out. out. Yeah, whether it's charity or there's a little book box at mm. the top of my road mm. where you can don't you can put it and neighbors can just you know swap book swap. So that's literally what I would do. But I, because I grew up in a household where you have to finish everything you eat. Yeah, you have to wear exactly. the thing until it's literally falling apart. Now that I'm free, <laughs> freedom. I'm like, actually, no, I'm not going to put myself through this. So if I don't like a book, I don't finish yeah, that book. It's same. such a waste of time. Because I used to all, because, you know, I have good reads and I'm like mm. really proud of doing the challenges. And yeah, and then then I was like, you know, I'll, I'll be halfway through a book and I'll just be like, why am I reading yeah, it? No. If it's bad, like life is very short. You know, like there are so many great, there's so many great books out there, Absolutely. but not every book is going to appeal to you. And as you say, book boxes are amazing. Like I discovered one. it was so nice to put books that I didn't want or even books that I liked, but I thought like I really want to pass on into there. Mm. So it's like, if you're not enjoying it, move on. Move there's on. other things out there. Exactly. Read something new. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's a good conversation. Good, eh? I yeah. learned so much. And Thank you. I just want to, no, where are you both on social media? How can people uh, follow you? Back to the social media. Yeah, I thought thing. we said we were going to take a break from social. There <laughs> are people who want to hear more of what you have to say. Um, I was going to say that awful thing of Google me, but um, no. <laughs> Don't Google me because the first result that comes up is drunk woman eats kebab. <laughs> After an incident about three years ago. You see, I'm vanilla. See? My SEO is ruined. <laughs> so, me, Twitter, Ron LOL, same with Instagram. Pretty much everywhere. Ronkelloa.com, my website as well. Um, my public Twitter, I've got like about oh. three. Uh, my public Twitter for new fans is Ooh. at mlothiemclean and my public Instagram is at moya underscore lm. All the thought shots. Thank you so much. In other news, 14 people are getting tested for the coronavirus in the UK. Meghan Markle's sister gave an interview saying she's cheapening the royal family. The Church of England said sex is only for heterosexual couples. The Met Police are going to deploy facial recognition cameras. The Victoria Derbyshire show is coming off air due to BBC cuts. Terrorists released from jail will face lie detector tests to prove they've been de-radicalised. And finally, the voice of a 3,000-year-old mummy has been brought to life. This has been your Broccoli Weekly. I've been your host, Diora. You can find me on Twitter at the Diora. Credits of the clips used and information can be found on our website, www.yourbroccoliweekly.com. You can join the conversation and share your views using the hashtag yourbroccoliweekly. If you liked what you heard, why not give us a rating and review on your favourite podcast app? And if you loved what you heard, tell your friends. Your Broccoli Weekly is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Casts and all your favourite apps. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Broccoli Weekly and on Instagram we're at Your Broccoli Weekly. Your Broccoli Weekly is produced by Cass Denton. This is a Broccoli production.